all language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. How are you feeling? Your latest workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a metaphor to help and heal human beings. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars from the Back to Tank, the Mandalorian edition. Yeah, we are here to discuss and converse. Discuss and converse, they're essentially the same thing, right, Dave? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely the same thing. We're going to discuss and break down. There you go. (laughs) The Mandalorian Chapter 14, The Tragedy, directed by Robert Rodriguez and written by John Favreau. Well, Dave, Robert Rodriguez entered the arena and simply slayed every director that came before him. Yeah. Except maybe uh, Filoni. Yeah. The Jedi episode was damn fucking great. Oh, it's really difficult for me to choose which one's my favorite. And because like last in the last episode we did, I said this one had some I was really hyped to see this one because it was being directed by Robert Rodriguez. Dude, these two episodes, these past two episodes have set the bar. Absolutely. It's the bar that should have been met since day one. Set, yeah. I agree, but where do we go from here, Dave? Can we actually be okay with getting an episode pertaining to a, a fucking frog and her eggs? Is that something <laughs> we're really going to want to go back to? Oh my to? god, dude. If they did... You set the bar. You can't go back now. You can't. You can't. I'm sorry, you you set the bar so high, and especially where they get back, you can't just give us a standalone episode in the next one. Well, I'm sure we'll get standalone episodes still, but I, I'm just saying, Robert Rodriguez came in and just showed everyone how to direct action. He slayed that I scene. mean, I know Takiti Waititi, Funky Waitusi did a pretty damn good job last season, but dude, come on. Oh, yeah. An experienced action director like Robert Rodriguez is going to own you. Every single time, especially since Takiti Watiti is known mostly for comedy. And dude, he Robert Rodriguez showed that as a director, you can still insert your style yep. into a franchise. I and insert make it my work. style into franchises. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Wink, wink, wink. wink. <laughs> and in this case, franchises are women. <laughs> That's what I call the women I've dated. That's what you call the women. I call, franchise. I call them franchises. Welcome to the franchise. And I put my brand in the franchise. In the franchise. Yeah, my style, if you will. And I wiggle it around a little bit. I'm like, do you like my style? <laughs> this got really awkward. This Dave. got really awkward. Yeah, so I said it last episode. We finally have a fucking TV series. Uh, things that have been on such a slow summer. You know, it's almost growing moldy at this point, have finally returned. The show is taking elements or literary plants and utilizing them in a big way that brought a lot of things together. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I've been making a joke this whole second season that me and you have been covering how they haven't answered so many things from season one. 
and it takes them to get into season two to answer it. Yeah. And I've been making jokes about it, but I am very happy that they at least got there. Well, I don't want to be negative, Dave, but yeah. you, you are right. But the problem goes right back to the small, or I should say short season order. You have eight episodes. The episodes are 30 minutes long at times. There's just not a lot of time to cover ground. I mean, Star Wars, Clone Wars. Okay, fine. They're 30-minute episodes for the most part, but you're also given 20-some episodes a season. Yeah. So you have a lot more time. With a show that has an eight-episode order and the running time fluctuates between 30 to 60 minutes, most of the time it veers a lot closer to the 30-minute mark, you don't have a lot of time to fuck around. No. And that's why many, not just us, many Star Wars fans of The Mandalorian up to about two episodes ago, we're starting to grow a little impatient because we were just sitting here like, all right, guys, we're now two seasons in and we're waiting for things to come back that was introduced and it feels like a long wait, you know, but I'm happy to see that they seem to be on the right track. Things are coming together. Uh, number one, Favaro, Filoni and Rodriguez didn't shy away from giving us the Boba Fett that we've always wanted. Actually, here's the thing. They've done something that I feel has been needed for that character for decades. You mean justify why people like him? Exactly. Because like, if you think about Boba Fett back in the movie, why do people like him? Why do they people like him? And like, he's a cool looking character. Don't get me wrong. He's one of the most iconic characters in Star Wars. To many 12 year olds. Exactly. At that time. Absolutely. If you take, if you just take, and, and I know, a lot of Star Wars, Star Wars fans are saying that, well, there's so much they built in the books and right. in the comics on Boba Fett. Yeah. Yes, I agree. But we're talking about mass audiences, how basically they view him. They only know yeah. him from the movies. Right, exactly. So if you take that into context about the movies, all we know is Boba Fett was a great bounty hunter and he dies by ac- getting accidentally knocked into the Sarlacc pit. This That's is it. Dave, this is the fet they gave us in this episode is the fet from the 90s comics. Yes. And now the of course the retconned books. In the 90s, I was also a big Boba Fett fan. But post Phantom not Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, I was like, okay, well, you kind of got rid of Fett's history because Lucas didn't really care about the books. He didn't adhere to them. Exactly. That's why I didn't care when Disney retconned the books. I was like, well, George Lucas doesn't care. Retconned That's the books too. That's part of his story. Right. I mean, he approved them and he was okay with them, but if he was going to make a movie, he's not going to let a fucking book or comic or video game get in his way. Exactly. And that's what he did. So because of those movies, which I love the prequels, I adore Boba Fett just wasn't interesting. Django Fett was. Yeah. Django Fett was amazing. So the fat they gave us, and I agree with you, based on what we had in terms of canon, there really wasn't a, a reason for fat to have this many fans. No. So now they're giving us the fat that everyone deserves. They're giving us the fat that justifies his fandom. As I said, this is the fat from the 90s comics. I love the Dark Empire series. If you remember those, uh, they were both comic books and audiobooks. And I mean, the storyline for Fett in those comics was fucking on point, just oh, vicious as fuck. It was so good. So in 32 minutes, they justified bringing this character back from the dead, which was another thing. You know, we could say he's been brought back, you know, decades ago. Yeah, sure. If, if you want to take into account the retconned canon, the expanded universe. But 
that's all been retconned. Exactly. So now justify why you're bringing him back. Make us understand why besides fan service. Cause as people know, Dave, you and I don't want anything just simply for fan service. Yes. We want fan service sprinkled with some substance. And that's what they did with this. And the thing was, this is a perfect way of using him to bring in a character like that because it has to tie. He ties in with the Mandalorian culture perfectly. Well, now and dude, I love the the one thing that they did in this one episode was they separated what we think of Boba Fett and his father, Jango Fett. Right. Because everyone said Jango and Boba are the, uh, uh, the whole joke of star Wars is they're the, just the same person. Right. And I'm yeah. like going, no, they're not. They should be treated as two different people because Django was trained a different way than Boba. And I loved how they portrayed Boba as like this brutal, all his actions have purpose, mm-hmm. but they're so brutal and vicious. It's exactly the fat we were given in the comic yeah. books. And just very brutal. Brutal. And if you look at comparison to Django, Django's the gunslinger. He's the he's the guy who twirls the gun. Well, I, listen, Fett twirled his gun too, David. <laughs> but he's going to twirl that stick and shove it in someone's yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dave, okay, so you touched on something that's a big thing, even for us. And there may be listeners who were, you know, pointing at the screens. Like, oh, you guys were wrong. Bubba Fett is a Mandalorian. I'm like, well, now he is. Now he is. They finally confirmed that Fett is, in fact, a Mandalorian. This is something that fans have been debating for a very, 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 very long time. And I never had a problem with him being a Mandalorian. But listen, I'm a Star Wars baby. If it hasn't been stated, it doesn't exist. Exactly. It's never been stated. So now it has. And I'm 100% on board. You know, so taking what Lucas had set up. With Attack of the Clones and reworking Jango Fett's backstory, we get confirmation that Jango Fett was a foundling. Yes. So that does make Boba a Mandalorian. And this is the type of stuff I wanted. The last two episodes are the things that I wanted with our Star Wars TV show. Yes. I wanted canon defining Episodes. episodes i wanted there to be a reason why we have a tv show other than hey it's a star wars tv show because let's say for sure two episodes out of the mandalorian if not possibly four they have now done more in the way of star wars canon yeah than all of the sequel trilogies this is this is a major am, am i right building. yeah this is a major lore building episode. I mean, what did the sequel trilogy give us? The dyad, which wasn't really even explained. <laughs> hey guys, you sat through three movies and the only thing we're going to give you that's canon defining is the dyad. It's the dyad. Well, how does it work? I don't know. You'll have to read the book. It's a MacGuffin. <laughs> it's a MacGuffin. So they've given us more officially after this episode. Then the, the three, pre, then the t- three sequel. sequels. Yeah. Amazing. And I'm happy with that, Dave. This is all I wanted. See how easy it is to get us to be happy. Yeah. We don't want to be miserable. Despite what some of our listeners may believe. We want to be happy. We want to be happy. Just give us something. And this is exactly what the episode did. It gave us more than just something. Oh yeah. It fucking smacked us in the fucking face. It gave us substance and it gave us like 
as I said, this lore building episode that connects not just to the Mandalorian series, but also to this is Star Wars defining Star Wars defining the universe. Yes. The universe. Yeah, I wasn't quite expecting any of this, to be honest with you. I (laughs) I wasn't. Just like I said, Dave, during our last episode discussion, this is what I fucking want with Star Wars. I want my fucking jaw to drop. I want to be completely stunned. And when Grogu and Dejarin were within the little Jedi temple seeing stone and you hear a ship fly overhead <laughs> you too and huh? all you do is see the slave one fly over i'm like Whoa, what the fuck <laughs> savior that was my what the fuck moment i seriously got so fucking giddy i felt the 12 year old in me just jump for joy i was like holy shit this is about to happen for real <laughs> i can't believe i don't know what's it was like the first time i ever had sex and i didn't know what an orgasm felt like i was like holy shit is this it is what, it what is. is this feeling that's going through my entire body and coming out my pee hole <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it, but yeah, it is. It is that type of moment because I sat there and I was like going, and ahead of time, I had it spoiled by my, my fiance at the time. Oh, dude, if it, that was my fiance, she wouldn't be my fiance anymore. <laughs> and I basically just sat there and I, even though she spoiled it, just seeing slave one, it didn't ruin it for you. It, it didn't still ruin was it. exciting. It was like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> and then, but and then it didn't stop there. When Boba actually looks over to, to the razor crest, I started getting the same feelings because then all of a sudden my brain are going, he knows his armor's in there. Sure enough, when everyone has their backs, uh, I knew for a fact, I, I was like just chomping at the bit. I knew for a fact when they had the Jaren and uh, the one assassin just surrounded and they were just blasting him. Fennec. I knew. Fennec? Yeah, Fennec. Yeah. I knew Bobo was going to show up. And he was going to show up in full armor. And sure enough, boom, it happens. And he starts beating the crap out of people. <laughs> and it it's the same moment. It's the same feeling I had when seeing Slave One. Yeah. This is how you do it. I was pretty giddy, especially when we started seeing the Robert Rodriguez action. When Bubble Fett is crossing his arms and doing the Antonio Banderas <laughs> from Desperado <laughs> that shooting. That was so awesome. Dude, it felt like I was watching a Robert Rodriguez film. Every hit, every, you know, those over-exaggerated explosions and those over-exaggerated impacts where people go flying. That's what we were given. And, and was, it was perfect for Bubble Fett. This was the first time in this season where I feel the score just, score was great. The score yeah. was was 100% because like when Boba starts uh, in any of the scenes, you have the, these heavy drums just beating and that, that became like a signature to me. I'm like, okay, this is going to be epic. What's going to happen? And all of a sudden the score just matched the action that Robert Rodriguez put in front of us. And this is actually for the first time I can fully say I'm happy with the score completely because like, I was okay with the score last episode too. The score in the last episode was good, but I think they just knocked it out of the park even more in this one because it had purpose. Like yeah. the, so the score here met every single character's purpose. It just wasn't Boba Fett. It was also the Mandalorian. It was the scenes of, of Grogu in, in the, the sitting on the sea, uh, seeing stone. Yeah all the score just matched perfectly to each character, even in the end, 
when you get to Moff Gideon. Oh, dude, yeah. That scene with Gideon was awesome, and I felt that we finally got more insight into our main protagonist. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Let's stay with Boba Fett for the moment, Dave. Um, so after battling the Empire, okay, Boba Fett confronts the Jaren and explains the importance of the armor and what it means to him. And in order to prove that it does belong to him, he pulls up a 25-year-old chain code. Yep. Okay. Now, because there's Star Wars fans out there that have way too much time in their hands, (laughs) they translated the chain code. There are actual Star Wars fans who know what it said. Yep. Bunch of fucking nerds. I'm proud of those nerds. <laughs> no, so listen, if you're going to be nerdy at something, this is the this is the thing to be nerdy about. So I'm okay with it, but they're still fucking nerds. So according to this article here, movieweb.com, they have the translation. Thankfully, a few hardcore Star Wars fans have cracked the code and learned that the chain code translates to foundling took into the year the Concord Dawn mentor Jast Father Fett Bobo Boba Fett Concord Dawn is the home planet of Boba Fett's clone father Django Fett yes so it'll be interesting to see where we go with this um the mentor uh mentor Jast is probably a reference to Jaster Mariel, who is also from Concord Dawn, in the Legends canon, Jaster was Django's adopted father. Adopted father. And dude, I was so happy because so they're they're doing a deep dive. They're dude, doing deep dive. Uh, into that Legends Rolodex again that we always talk about. And this is what I expect out of out of uh out of Mandalorian. I mean, ever since the beginning of season one, Favreau and Filoni said this is a series for fans, but not just normal fans it's also for the hardcore fans of star wars who know about the universe we're going to be bringing stuff in like this it's more than just seeing you know characters like ahsoka who is more mainstream stuff uh, or is she really mainstream though i would say she's mainstream really dude Dude, she's but how many people in the mainstream actually watch clone wars that's how powerful Like, does your mom watch clone wars yeah does your dad watch clone wars I think that people out there do have that. Like my brother, who's a hardcore Star Wars fan, has just now during coronavirus, my older brother has just now sat down to watch the Clone Wars because of the Mandalorian. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard that, too, because there are Star Wars fans who say, oh, I have to catch up on on Clone Wars yeah. and everything else. But that's the thing. Clone Wars is now. Entering into that mainstream, I I would agree with that mainstream for thing. sure. Yes, and that's I why I think that, that I think that's why people will say Ahsoka is more mainstream yeah. than a lot of others. And like, but bringing up like this, Master Jazz, who's going to know Master Jazz? The only one yeah. that's going to know that is basically people like us, the nerds that the translated nerds. the uh, chain code <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or Concord Dawn, dude. When I found out that they mentioned Concord Dawn, I got giddy yeah. because I was like going. Thank you. You brought something back from the universe that I love. Dude, how? See, this is what I wanted, Dave. This is why I'm getting happy because all I, this is what Star Wars fans, how many times have we 
throughout the how long have we done this show? 2012 is when we started doing this show. Yeah. Okay. And let's not even count our conversations before we even started <laughs> before doing we this even show. Started. How many times have we just questioned why? Don't they just give us things from the expanded universe? Like how hard is it to just say, Oh, this is what the fans like. They really love this comic book from the nineties. Oh, they really like this book. Oh, okay. Let's do a movie based on these things. Obviously let's rework them yeah. because everything's been retconned. How many times have we said that? Like, just give us the things we fucking like within reason, within reason, within but- reason. I understand that you can't listen to the fans all the time, but if all out, when all else fails, Fresh tactics that you gave us a sequel trilogy that most people didn't like. It didn't resonate as, as much as they would like it to have. So now it looks like they're doing what they should have done from the very beginning, giving us things that the star Wars fans really do want, giving the star Wars fans things that they really want. Doesn't it make you happy though? Like that the mainstream will finally see things that we've known about for forever yeah it gives me vindication for it. yeah <laughs> honestly it gives me vindication it's like when i get to talk to fans now that basically are star wars fans that look at uh look at the listen to the things that i say about like the expanded universe and they like go how in the world did they, when did that get made and i'm like oh back in the 1980s and 89 and i really tru- truly feel like Pablo Hidalgo is like my, while, while I love Dave Filoni, Pablo Hidalgo is my favorite behind the scenes Star Wars person because he's the Star Wars historian. He's the one that basically they go to and say, hey, th- this was, ba- we're, we're planning on using this. Is this in canon? And then he basically goes, yes, it's in canon. <laughs> is he still in charge of the Lucasfilm story? Oh, no, group? he's still there. Paulo we don't really still hear there. much about him anymore. You don't because like, I think that's, that's to his decision because he likes being that executive person behind the scenes. Who's just kind of like the go-to historian to help the writers out. Hmm. Cause that's what he did. That's what he did in Clone Wars since day one. And then it, it, he got, he got used to it. Did it in rebels. Everyone loved him. What he was doing in rebels because a lot of the stuff that me and you gushed about in Rebels was because Pablo confirmed and did the research and told the guys, yeah, use this. <laughs> Please go yeah. and use this. Now you're right. He's still with the Lucasfilm. And he's still with Lucasfilm. Group. Yeah. All right, Dave. So get more Star Wars from the Back to Tank each and every month by subscribing to our Patreon page. That's what people need to know. Need to know. Want more Back to Tank? You can subscribe. Every single month, we put out eh, one to two additional shows every single month. How many more times can I say that? <laughs> Head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. We do different random things every month. We do some Clone War discussions. We do comic book discussions. We do book reviews, which we're getting ready to do one on the Rise of Skywalker. So make sure you're prepared, Dave. I finally Absolutely. finished the Rise of Skywalker novelization. And what it managed to do is get me more angry (laughs) because there's, there's things in the book that I'm, that I'm scratching my head wondering why the fuck did you not include this in the movie? It would have fixed many of the plot holes and issues. Welcome to my boat. They describe and get into the whole rule of two and the diet and the force and what it means to the Sith. They introduce characters that basically should have brought, they should have brought in 
but yeah, they decided they ex- not they to explain that weird like ending scene with Lando and uh, Janna. Oh my god, yeah. So we're gonna get into that. We're gonna do a formal review. Uh, we also have a Thrawn book, Dave. So get ready for that. We're gonna yep. review the very first Thrawn book. I figured that'd be a good discussion to get into because of the mentioning of Thrawn yep. and the Mandalorian. So yeah, lots going on from the Patreon side. Patreon.com slash Rain Man Digital. By the way, that Thrawn book so far, I'm 12 chapters in. Dude, I'm mad that I waited this long to read it. It is really, really good. I was telling you that basically you need to read it. It <laughs> and feels it, a lot like the Tarkin book. It does. And it, it, but in a way... Thrawn looks more sympathetic than uh Well, than Tarkin, Tarkin has no heart. Tarkin has or no soul. Heart. Thrawn has honor. Thrawn, Thrawn is a good person. Yeah. Who for some reason, you know, lives up to his word and refuses to leave the empire, but <laughs> so we'll get into that. All right, so not only did we get canon-defining, game-changing moments within this episode of The Mandalorian, we were also given another strong script. I will definitely say that John Favreau did a good job with this episode. The direct position of the episode helped with the structure, in my opinion. It serves a bit of as it serves a bit as a bridge episode, uh, being right after the episode with Ahsoka and having Moff Gideon hot on their heels. All of these elements that were set in play made this episode a fairly easy task to write, if you're competent enough. So it was an easy assignment. I'm not trying to take away from Favreau's skill, but it was a fairly easy assignment. Um, we also had more moments of development between Grogu and the Jaren, which overall this aspect, Dave always needs to be foremost in the minds of Favreau and any other writers that he may bring into the series, their bond, the Jaren and Grogu's bond is the foundation of this series. Yes. And even if they can't dedicate, you know, more than a few minutes every episode, they should definitely give us something just a little bit, just like they did in this episode. The yeah. the opening scene where we had him talking to Grogu and, and using his name and playing with him and showing that he's proud and impressed with Grogu and his power and even having him communicate with him, saying that you, you are important. Having DeJaron acknowledge that says a lot about him and how he feels towards the the child, towards Grogu. And likewise, because like I love the little bits of like when DeJaron turns around and he's talking to Grogu without looking at him, and you could the the puppet the 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 way that they use the expressions of Grogu tells a lot about Grogu, like. Right. When he said, when, when Jaren just turns and says, that's what you want, right? You, you want to be with your people. And in the background, you, you can see the expression of Grogu, his ears go down and he's like, he's, he, you Dude, can tell he the, doesn't want the to. puppeteers do an amazing job with, with, with Grogu. And I was like, I pointed that, I pointed that out and I was like, oh, I actually, I feel sorry for this kid because you can tell that he's very conflicted. He doesn't want to leave Jaren. He he wants to meet these other Jedi probably, but he doesn't want to leave the Jedi. Well, he's formed an attachment, just like Ahsoka said, which isn't a great thing when you are a force wielder, right? Yeah. Or a Jedi. It puts you in a very uh, dangerous position. So we get to Tython, and Grogu interacts with the Seeing Stone. 
another thing we've we've wanted to see in Star Wars for many years is <laughs> is the mysticism being brought yeah. in. So seeing this was also rewarding as a Star Wars fan. Who do you think saw him, Dave? That's the thing, dude. If there's one thing, and I'm uh, I'm not saying I'm angry about this this moment, but it is a little ball blue balling me. I'm but okay with that. Though. I kept like going, who the hell is he talking to? No. Did you like talking? how his fingers were in the meditation pose? Yes. That was awesome. Like all the little, all the little details they added to that whole scene told a lot. Like you could tell that something is contacting. Grogu. Yeah. He's communicating. He's communicating. He's reaching out through the force. It's obviously someone very strong. Well, we don't know who. Well, maybe multiple people. We don't know. I exactly. have to think this kind of thing leaves Grogu in the open for anyone to see him. Well, yeah. I mean, at this time, we have been led to believe that Luke had started to work on his new Jedi Order. So we have that. Yes. But there has to be knowing more. that we can't really get to Luke. I mean, I'm sure they could find ways to make it work. Well, that's why I was but like, the series can't be about that. The series is about Grogu. And the Jaren. Mm-hmm. So possibly there could be something else that saw him. Yeah. Something dark and sinister is always out there. Oh, yeah. So I'm thinking, sure, he might have been communicating with a Jedi. But at the same time, when you're sitting on the seeing stone, you're allowing anyone with the ability to touch the force to see you in some way. Exactly. And why wouldn't we think that there's something evil out there? Yeah, and that's why I was like, I understand why a lot of fans automatically jump to the the simple the simple characters to bring in Luke, right? The Emperor, any any one of those. Yeah, those are the main. Well, Luke would make more sense Luke than Palpatine, make, honestly. Luke would make the the I think the most sense out of anybody. However, also, does he have any knowledge though? Does he even know about Titan? Not right now. Think about it. Five years after the return of the Jedi, is he going to be that much more experienced? Is he going to learn that much about the force? I mean, look at the comic we read, um, which was the prelude to rise of Skywalker where Ben Solo was like, what, 13, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And he was still learning about the temples and the way of the former Jedi. Yeah. And like, that's why I was like feeling, I basically told myself, no, It'd be great to see Luke, but I started thinking about other th- beings out there. I would love to see the Bendu, the Bendu make a return. Yeah, but how will that work, though? With I mean, Listen, you know, that's a dumb question. Anything can work. Anything at this can point. work at this point. Yeah. But I mean, it just depends on their execution. But there's there's so many candidates out there in, in the Star Wars universe that's in canon that they can bring back. They can bring back the Bendu, Ezra, possibly. I mean, it would make sense. It, it, uh, Reaching out and actually finding Ezra would be interesting because Ezra at this time. point probably knows more about the force. Exactly, than Luke. <laughs> he would probably know way more than Luke. Luke. Kind of sucks right now at this point. And I was even thinking about like even characters from like the comics, like say uh, the Knights of Ren. What about what about what about them? I mean, we uh, know that there's yeah, a ton of them, he, but not not exactly not Ben Solo's Knights of Ren. I'm talking about. The the Knights of Ren we me and you have read about in the comics. Yeah, but that's where yeah, how do I don't want to get into the it? The shadow. But the rise of Skywalker kind of changed that. The book. They get into the Knights <laughs> of Ren saying that they have belonged yes, I the entire time to Palpatine. I'm like, really? <laughs> they did? Really? Because in the comic book they didn't. <laughs> exactly. And that's why it's out there. 
it's not out. It's not, it's not, it hasn't been confirmed. Yeah. We are in some really cool territory, Dave. Oh yeah. Finally, finally we're in some really cool territory and they can potentially make anything work. Now we're also given a little bit of insight into how things are within the galaxy when it comes to the empire, this is a question we've also had like, okay, five years after the return of the Jedi and the fall of the empire, like how does this all work? That seemed to have been surprised to see Gideon's ship. Yeah. He even said the empire's back. So we can deduce that the empire is far is for the most part gone. And all that exists are these factions. Yes. Some of which, if you read the books, turn their allegiances to the First Order and become part of that. We also have to remember in the books and comic books, we had the Battle of Jakku. Yes. Which was the final large-scale military engagement in the Galactic Civil War that took place five years after the Battle of Yavin, which is one year and four days after the Battle of Endor. Endor. That's four years prior to the Mandalorian. So. That was the war that ended the Empire. And it's also what, if you, you have to remember, Palpatine wanted it to end. If you go back to the book, Counselor Gallius Rax, which was a character, yeah. assumed control of the Galactic Empire during the Battle of Jakku and concentrated much of its remaining forces on Jakku, an inner rim desert world. We already know where that's from. Uh, unknown to his soldiers, this is the important part. Rax plotted to destroy the empire in order to fulfill his obligations to the late Emperor Palpatine. Yes. The emperor did not want the empire to move on because just like any true emperor, he wanted them to feel the effects of their failure. They failed to win. They allowed him to die. He wanted it to be gone. To be gone. And, and yeah. he wanted something else to rise from the ashes. So that's why, Dave, I don't feel like Gideon is working with Palpatine. That's I think why so too, I yeah. think Thrawn is also not working with Palpatine. Because you have all these split, you, you arguably could have all these splitter groups now at this point. Which would make a lot more sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you uh, take it to, if you did read the books, this is exactly what Palpatine wanted. He, he wanted, wanted them all to turn on themselves. Turn on themselves because in his twisted sort of way. It's a, very, it's a Sith way. Yeah, in a, in a twisted sort of way, he wanted them to grow stronger with their hate. In essence, turn their hate to each other. And basically, it's almost like the survival of the strongest. Only the strong will survive in this this one, and their hate will be the one that carries them on. And if you read a lot of the books like Inferno Squad, you really do you get that mindset that basically the emperor, the empire at that point, a lot of the commanders take this notion of failing the emperor as it's everyone else's fault and all of them need to pay a price. And that's why they turn on each other. <laughs> it's not out of like... I want to leave. Power no, vacuum it's there. a power vacuum yeah. thing. And in the end of Inferno squad, they actually tackle the whole idea that while a lot of people are saying, Oh, the empire is destroying itself. No, they're trying to make themselves stronger. I, I don't think they're intentionally. doing that. I think they're not, they're not trying to make, they're not defeating each other to make themselves stronger. They're all vying for power. 
perhaps Palpatine is doing that. That's what that's said, what that's what his mythology or uh, methodology. methodology was. Yeah. All right. So Gideon seems to have a deeper history with Grogu than we originally had thought. He seems very familiar with him. I think it, I had assumed that he was just a prisoner and he was doing experiments on him and that was it. But it looks like it goes deeper than that, which makes oh, yeah. it even that much more personal and wrong. It does. The fact it? that he is essentially tormenting a, a child. Yeah. Dude. I mean, the way he ignites the black saber and puts it in his face like a punk. I'm like, dude, you're an evil <laughs> bastard, man. You're a punk. You're literally toying around with a child. Yeah, and dude, I I love that scene so much because we finally get some insight into Moff Gideon. Like he's more than just basically standing there looking, you know, threatening because the you know, uh the actor, I think it's I forgot how to pronounce his name. He's from Breaking Bad. Es- Espinito. He does a fantastic job just with his facial expressions but when he gets to act that's when he really can turn up the notch and really show how villainous he can be and well with an actor like that you don't really need a lot of lines to learn about no. them because that whole you that know, whole two minute sequence two minute sequence we, of him we learn just enough him just like what you said toying with the black dark saber in front of him and saying you know the only problem is when you use all that that power you do tend to get a little sleepy and then he just smiles and then walks away after witnessing two of his own soldiers getting pummeled and force choked. And he's just standing there going, oh, OK, that's nice. <laughs> why are you laughing right now? That's so evil. Dave. Dude, no, that's why I like about him. He is my type of evil. He's the type of guy that basically you want to hate. And I, that's I like what, what they they're doing with this character. I like I said, I, I feel like the way they position certain key players when you're writing a script like this, it, a few sequences, a few seconds of of scenes together between Grogu and Gideon, it gives us just enough to understand this relationship a little yes. better between the two of them, and how it's very contentious, even from the child standpoint. The child does not like him. No. So I like that. It was something we needed to help understand that entire background a bit more. And on top of that, I honestly think Moff Gideon is the one thing that we've been missing in Star Wars, even with the sequels, even with the the movie sequels, a legitimate villain that we all can kind of like zero in on and say he's the type. We had a villain in the sequels. He was always in the shadows hiding. (laughs) Please don't bring that up. Please, please, that hurts my soul. <laughs> All right, Dave. So the Razor Crest is destroyed. Yeah, that was sad. So does this mean Slave One is our ship for the rest of the season? I'm happy. And see, that's the funny part. The the episode title is tragedy. The Razor Crest getting blown up was a tragedy to me, but then I thought about it like going, means more more of Slave One. Yeah, is this the squad <laughs> now for the rest of the season? Boba Fett, the Jaren, Fennec. I mean, we also have Bo-Katan. We have Bo-Katan. We have Ahsoka. Like, I don't know if they're going to bring her back, but Bo-Katan would definitely make sense. So we may see a future episode where we have uh, uh, Kraga, what's his name? Grief. Grief Karga. Grief Karga. Karga. Uh, Cara Dune, Bo-Katan, Boba Fett, Finnick. I mean, this could be the new squad for the rest of the season. How How scary is it, Mike, that basically this ensemble cast 
is better than what we got in the movies. Oh, Dave, I'm going to say that. I, I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. It's honestly true. What about Hobo Ray? <laughs> Hobo, Ray. Hobo Ray and her ridiculous clothes. What about Poe Dameron, the greatest pilot in all the galaxy? <laughs> what about Finn, the, the comic relief? <laughs> the comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the directing was awesome. I couldn't think of a better director for this episode, as I said at the top of the show. If you know what to look for, this had all the classic Rodriguez action go-tos, hard hits, impacts that send you flying, Jumping and, shooting, jumping and shooting exaggerated blaster fire beast mode choreography i want him back to do another episode he's got to come back dude yeah i i want robert rodriguez to do more because in all honesty he kind of like disappeared at last would you when did you say he kind of disappeared he uh, did uh alita which was pretty good. Yeah, but but before Alita, oh, he, he dropped out. After he dropped he, uh, out. Cheated on his wife. He kind of fell apart. <laughs> he kind of fell apart. Yeah, but like succubuses will do that to you. Yeah, Rose yeah. McGowan, look out. He should have stayed with his nana. But oh. <laughs> but like before Alita, there wasn't much that Rodriguez was doing. Now we're seeing more after Alita. He's doing. He he got to do the episode of mandalorian he's doing his sequel to shark boy and lava girl no. and screw you guys i love that movie i'm sure you do <laughs> dave movie. and now your mic's gonna be off bye <laughs> i love that movie all right final thoughts dave quickly final thoughts on this episode this is fantastic it was a really great episode i came into this episode with high expectations all those expectations were met as a score this gets a 99 I'm not going to give it a hundred because you're going to throw a monitor at me now, but like 99, it is close to a hundred. Is and that your highest you've ever rate rated any for Mandalorian? Mandalorian? Yes. Here, let me see here. I have the score here. It's higher than the last one, which I said was honestly my favorite. I keep track of your scores now. Okay. <laughs> so chapter 13, I didn't, what'd you give chapter 13? I didn't write it down. The Jedi. I gave that a 95. 95 i believe 95 or a 92 i think you gave it a 95 oh, i didn't write mine down give me a second here. oh i gave it a 98 didn't i i don't fucking remember david why are you asking me these questions <laughs> All right, so you're giving you're going to give this episode a 95? No, a 99. 99. 99. Okay. Close to perfection. All right, I'm going to give this episode a 99% as well. That was good. I mean, it was a very, relatively easy episode to do. Yeah. So, I will say that. I am going to take away a little from If I didn't think this was an easy episode to write, I probably would have given it 100%. But because it the way, I mean, uh, Filoni set him up and then before that, they had Bogotan. They're working towards this. So uh, some boosters there, here and there. But that's how TV should work. That's why I said last episode, we officially have ourselves a TV show. And I will reiterate it again. We officially have ourselves a TV show. We finally have things in motion. You have a narrative here. You have a myth arc. Everything is flowing and working together. That's how a TV show should operate. And that's why this is getting a 99%. Yeah. Very well done. All right, this does bring us to an end. I want to thank everybody for listening. Remember, head over to our Patreon page. It's the only way we can stay on the air year after year. It's the only way we can make money, honestly, because ad revenue is for the birds. 
It doesn't uh, bring in nearly enough dough. So we need the the added layer of revenue that comes with our Patreon subscriptions. And that's why we give you more content as well. So patreon.com slash Rain Man Digital. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs>